Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts Rick and Patrick for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 43 of the Beers and Bible podcast. I am Rick. And I am Patrick. And we are happy to be with you tonight. Uh, we've been doing a little extra recording because uh, I'm going to be taking some time off, so we had to, had to get a couple episodes ahead. But and it is actually nighttime tonight. This, yeah, now it's, it's not like nighttime. It's not the middle of the day like episode 42 <laughs> was. It threw us off a little bit. So we were a little confused in that episode. I'm not gonna lie. I think I think we're confused all the time. It's Let's true. Just be no, real. So I went back in because I was I was re- listening to it to mix it down to post it and. Dude, we we had so many jokes. I left most of them in there just because they were so funny. Okay. Well, I can't wait to listen to it when it comes out. So, and um, when people hear this, they'll be like, "Yeah, I know what they're talking about." Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, if you made it through, if you made it through episode forty-two and you stuck with us, we thank you for your uh, diligence and your just your perseverance, your perseverance and your drive just to just to stick with us so listen to these two knuckleheads drink beer and talk about the bible yeah and we really are just knuckleheads if you know us then you know that very well and yes. if you've listened to every episode of the podcast you also know that very well so <laughs> hopefully you figured it out by yeah. now <laughs> i think we started the po- i think episode one we started with we are just knuckleheads uh, true story basic so, knuckleheads if i remember right yeah so anyway uh rick how you doing man I'm good. It's been a it's been a long week. Uh, like I said, I've been I've been getting ready. We're going to take some time off. So inevitably, when you when you take a vacation or something like that, you end up uh, working really hard right before your vacation, and then working really hard right after your vacation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. To make sure you have everything covered while you're off, and then when you get back, it's all the stuff that people didn't want to cover. You have to catch back up on. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I've been I've been getting ready for that and. Looking forward to a good week off. Just going to hang out with the family and, and uh, relax and spend some time in the sun. Good for you, man. D. Good for you, man. So it's going to be a good time. How about you, man? What's going on in your world? You know, we're still trucking along with work. Uh, back to more normal schedules and all that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Not going on a vacation, so I won't be sitting on the, <laughs> sitting anywhere out in the sun for any reason, really, um, <laughs> here in the foreseeable future, um, I feel like my family needs a, needs a few days away, like not in the house and not at work. And mm-hmm. it's been the last couple of months have been really stressful, yeah, or something. I don't really. Just, there's just kind of a weird air, and I feel like a couple of days away would do a lot to help kind of reset everything. So I think we're planning a trip like a weekend trip here in a few weeks. So that'll be good, I think. But as of right now, we're, we're not, you know, we're not able to get away just because of our work, uh, 
commitments and stuff like that. But things are going good. We're everyone's healthy. No one that we Everybody's really got corona. No one in our family, you know, knock on wood, has uh, gotten the corona virus. Um, we did drink some coronas at the very beginning of the quarantine, like that, per- like that first weekend. We had some. <laughs> Just, just because, so, just because, and I have, uh, been, I have been dared by a couple of friends on vacation to go to a restaurant or go somewhere and be like, "I have a corona, hold the virus." Dude, I, I'm daring you right now. I will be the, I will be the next person to dare you on from the Beers and Bible Podcast on behalf of, of the beers of the Beers and Bible Podcast and its listeners. I dare you to go to a restaurant. In order a corona hold the virus. <laughs> that would be that would be the ultimate like you, dad joke. You have to get it you have to have it videotaped and sent to sent to me so for proof. For proof Yes. <laughs> proof that I did it. Yes. We won't post it anywhere because of anonymity. Anonymity? And yeah, anonymity. <laughs> Finding Nemo came out. Did right. you like that? <laughs> that was nice. That was so, right, Nemo. <laughs> so you know. Maybe one day, if we were able to reveal who we are, we could share the video. But right now, we're going to... I just need a proof, and then I'll reveal on the podcast whether or not you did it or not. <laughs> That'll work. We'll we'll see how that flies out over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So, so tonight, we are uh, drinking beer and talking Packer, because... Yeah, we are. That's what we've become. That's, that's <laughs> all we... That's a, I feel like that's all we do, man. It's like, work. Well, what do you do? I go to work, and I work, and I go home. Well, think, well, think about it. Like, this is the 43rd episode... And for this will be the forty second episode of J.I. Packer. True. I don't think J.I. Packer's had two guys talk this much about him ever. I would agree with that because I don't <laughs> know if anybody else who's done this. I know plenty of people who read this book but never spent uh, an entire year discussing it subject by subject. Yeah. So we're getting close to the end tonight. We're going to wrap up part three of four yeah, of uh, concise theology by J.I. Packer. And but first, like we always do, we're except for that one time. Um, we've got a beer to review. Then <laughs> we didn't do that again. Yeah. We did that one time. I couldn't even tell you which episode it was, and I don't think I want to know. So no, it was, I don't either. It was weird for everyone involved. So anyway, so we got a beer to review there, Rick. What, what have we got tonight? So tonight we have from the Scofflaw Brewing Company in Atlanta, Georgia. Whoop, whoop. And, and I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. The reason that I picked this beer was number one because of the name, and number two because I'm going on vacation. And this this beer made me think of vacation when I saw the title. Mm-hmm. So from the Scoff Lowering Company, this is called Dirty Beaches. Would you would you <laughs> say that again, but perna- pronounce it a little more clearly for the for the people in the back? <laughs> <laughs> that is from the Scoff Lowering Company, Dirty. Beaches, beaches, like a sandy beach. (laughs) Yes, but just it made me think vacation because a lot of people go to the beach on vacation. Yeah, so I was like, dude, what a perfect and and we're recording this like right before I'm getting ready to go on vacation. I was like, what a perfect beer to review right before I go on vacation. Yeah, so that's what we have for tonight. We have the uh, we have the dirty beaches, and it is a tropical wheat uh, with six point three ABV. Um, like 45 IBUs or something like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little hesitant because of how high the IBUs are. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm also hopeful that it's going to be good because I like, uh, I do like, uh, blue moon, which is a Belgian wheat. Right. So I don't know how this is going to compare. I don't know how tropical wheats and Belgian wheats compare, but 
Someone that tells me where I picked it out. We're about to find out. Yeah. So looking at the can, um, I don't think I've ever seen any of the stuff on a, on the can at an actual beach, except, except for flamingos. I have seen flamingos. See, I I don't think I have. I don't think I've seen. I've only. I think I've only ever seen flamingos at the zoo. At the zoo. If you go to South Florida, you will see flamingos not on the beach, but very very close to the beach. Okay. So, but like there's there's like. Ram skulls and yeah, I'm not sure what's up with that. Ping pong paddles. Um, I have seen ping pong paddles at the beach before, and I guess some of the like the plants and stuff could be seaweed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Only stuff, a couple of the le- stuff leaves you would look find like at a dirty beach. Only the stuff. <laughs> only a few of the leaves look like marijuana leaves. Just, only a few. <laughs> just saying. Just gonna throw that out there. I not that I've ever can taken marijuana or smoked it or <laughs> whatever you do to marijuana. Yeah. I've never done that. I feel like that was a Michael Scott moment. <laughs> do you think doing alcohol is cool? <laughs> yeah, oh, I do. Man. I will say th- I will say this. This is probably one of the most intricate can designs yeah. that we've done and, on the podcast. And looking at the rest of Scufflaw's brewing Scufflaw's beers, a lot of their cans are like that. Yeah. I do I like it when a brewery has like they stick with a, a certain kind of motif with their cans mm-hmm. and and everything kind of looks the same yeah, it's, but it's just a little bit different. Yeah, it's very clear that this is a Scofflaw beer based on the other beers that they make. True story. Just based True on story. the can. I ha- we don't have any idea what it tastes like yet. True. So uh why don't we find out what it tastes like? I would love to. <laughs> So let's go and crack these things open and pour them up. Here we go. One, two, three, crack. Flesh and I blood. I like the smell. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Flesh and blood. Which I think... Okay, so I'm toying with the idea of going back and trying some of these beers again. Like, the ones that I haven't had since we reviewed them yeah just for my own posterity just for my own brain really um <laughs> see if we'd still rate it the same see, as we did. see if i would rate it you know the same um how foamy is yours i must be doing something wrong because every Do, week is your is yours like really cold cup no it's been sitting out for as long as we've been recording basically oh dang and my glasses are in, like, the door of the freezer, so it's not you, even that. Did you pour it on an angle? No. Mm, that's why. Oh. You gotta pour it on an angle, bro. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm OGs. <laughs> we're okay. We're good. I have a classic, like, bar beer look right now. I've got some of the, like, you know the commercials where the foam kind of comes over the glass? Yes. That's what I've got going on right now. Nice. I'll nice. show it to you, but I don't want to. You'd spill beer all over your computer. I would. <laughs> there we go. It's there. Oh, nice. But I okay, do like the color of this one. Yeah, the color is nice. It's it's got a very. It smells like a. It's got a very tropical, citrusy smell to it. Yes. Yes, it does. It smells like uh, flesh and blood. Like you said, I mean, like from the very beginning, that's what it smells like. But it's got. It's a little. I don't know exactly how to pin it, but it's there's something a little different. So that one was like really fruity smelling. Mm-hmm. This one is fruity smelling, but not as much. 
So the website's got that it's um, like a hybrid wheat and IPA. Oh. So I wonder if that's if that's the extra Maybe little that's something. Maybe what it is. Because the flesh Could and be. blood was just a... What was the flesh and blood? Uh, it was a... It was a... I don't know what it was. It wasn't an IPA. I don't feel like. I can't remember. I do love the... Uh, I do love the... The little paragraph summary that they have. Mm-hmm. We got down and dirty with our tropical wheat, a spirited collab with Victory Brands. This hybrid wheat IPA wets your palate. Just like you, beaches like it. Okay. <laughs> Easy drinking with so, a soft, creamy body. <laughs> so Flesh and Blood was an IPA. Oh, okay. Or it is an IPA. It's, it's, they still make it, so it's not a... <laughs> <laughs> not only was it, it still is. Yeah, so... I think that's maybe maybe that's why all the IPAs like remind us of flesh and blood. <laughs> it's possible that was the first one we had. And we didn't realize it. Yeah. So, um, I'm ready to try this thing. Let's do it. My phone has gone down to a manage- manageable tolerable, level. So tolerable level. Yeah. So well, let's uh let's turn up dirty beaches and uh, toast it to vacation. Here we go. Bottoms up. I think that is a replica of flesh and blood. There are, it's, it's very similar. It's not as, um, whoa. The aftertaste? The after's a little different. Yeah, it is. The fla- the flavor's not quite as, um, I think it's, is it less citrusy than Flesh and Blood was? It's a, it's a little less citrusy. It almost, I mean, to me, this almost tastes like somebody mixed, um, Blue Moon and, um, uh, Flesh and Blood. That's what it tastes like to me. It's not bad. No, it's not bad. Um, it's not. It's. I'm gonna go ahead and say it's not my favorite. No, I'm. Yeah, but it's not bad. I'm right there it's with you. not. Uh, I mean, it's it's. If you if you like IPAs, you'll probably like it. If you like wheats a lot, you'll probably like it. Yeah, it's a good mixture between the two. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's going to land in the decent range for me, I think. Yep. <clears throat> yep. So you want to go first or you want me to go first? I can go ahead and go. Um, Rate it up. It's it's not a bad beer. It's really not. Um, there's just nothing particularly special to write home about for it. Um, like the Strawberry Letter 23 from last week um, had like, is it had a very strong uh, like punch in your face. Flavor. It was tart. Like there's, there, like I've I've had it two two of them since the other day. Oh yeah. So I mean, and I don't drink beer like every single day. Sometimes I drink whiskey or vodka or other stuff. So, <laughs> so anyway, back back to this one. Um, it's a decent beer. It's a there is a citrusy flavor to it. Um, it's nice and smooth. Um. Mm-hmm. It's really not that bitter to me, I don't think. No, I'm, I'm but, actually surprised because I uh, thought it was going to be a little more bitter than it is. Yeah, the 40 or 45 IBUs or whatever it is, it's it doesn't come across as that bitter to me. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm not sure the IBU rating scale is universal across the board. So yeah. Either that or we don't understand it, one of the two. It's possible we don't understand it. So, all I have to say... On a scale of one to five Luthers, 
I'm going to land at three and a half Luthers. Um, it's a good beer. Like you said, if you like IPAs or wheats, um, you'll probably really enjoy this one. It's, uh, it's different enough. It's, it's going to be in that good, not great category. Yeah. So yeah, for, for Patrick, for myself, it's going to be three and a half Luthers out of five. Three and a half. I can feel you on that. Um, I actually, I, I'm going to be a little bit harder on this, and I'm going to come in at three Luthers out yeah. of five. Um, IPAs are not my favorite, um, and this one, I, though this one is a little bit different, I kind of, I, like, I, when I reminisce on the Flesh and Blood, I feel like it was a little bit better than this one. Um, I don't know, maybe I just don't like the combination of wheat and IPA together. I do like wheats and i'm not a huge fan of ipas but i can drink them mm-hmm. um but the combination together it's almost like when you first take a sip it's almost like the flesh and blood and then when you drink it it's almost like the leftover of a blue moon and i'm like make up your mind are, are you a, a schizophrenic beer here <laughs> do you do you want to be an ipa or do you want to be a wheat yeah <laughs> so it, i mean it does it does i don't I don't disagree with you that they're both present, but to me, they're, they balance pretty well. They like the, the flavor profiles both balance pretty well. This initial smell, like opening the can, it smells like, oh, this is just flesh and blood in a, in a different can is what it is. What yeah. it, can, it was what it smelled <laughs> like to me. But I feel like the balance between the wheat and the IPA is actually really nice. Um, okay. It's, you know, it's, it's pretty, even, it's pretty evenly balanced is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yep. I can, get, I can, I can see that. I mean, it's it's there and it, it is balanced. Maybe I just don't like it as much as I thought I was going to. But that's just me. There, there's a weird fruit flavor in it, and I can't pit, I can't pin it. Yeah, like it, it's not orange or lemon or grapefruit or or lime. It's not, it's not like a normal fruit. It's like mm-hmm. star fruit or something or pineapple. <laughs> you know, it's a weird something in it that I can't quite. Mango, maybe? Maybe that's what it is? I don't know. Um, there's just something a little weird about it that I can't quite put my finger on. But, I, you know, it's it's not terrible. It's still it's, it's, not not. A, it's not a two Luther beer. It's not. I've kept that streak going of not going below three. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> true. I'm the I'm the only uh, only one who's gone below below three online. Yeah. So. Well, there you go. There's a little bit of discussion about the Scofflaw Dirty Beaches. Uh, we, hey, I've, I really like your name of the beer, Scofflaw. I mean, Dirty Beaches was very interesting, fun name, and it made me purchase your beer. So, uh, points for points for that. Not, you know, I didn't really give you any losers like I did. I had to give Mighty Banyan one point for the can just to get it above two. So, because I really didn't like that one at all. Yeah. Um. But there you go. There's the uh, there's the dirty beaches from Scofflaw, three Luthers from Patrick or from Rick, and three and a half Luthers from Patrick. Uh, so we hope you all enjoy it. Hope you uh, go out and buy. I mean, hey, look, any of these that we that we review, I'm going to encourage you to buy at least one six pack. Try it for yourself. See if you like it better than we do. Maybe you will. You know, our opinion isn't final. We're just giving you our opinion. So. Yeah, the, the only thing that I can probably almost guarantee that most people won't like will be Kalik. Yeah, that's true. Don't buy Kalik. I will. I will absolutely recommend that. Sorry, Kalik. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Commonwealth Brewery. Um, but it just wasn't good. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't like it at all. It was. It's just. Yeah. Anyway. So now we're going to move on to Packer. We're going to finish out 
part three. We're going to talk about the family. We're going to talk about the world. We're going to talk about the state. Lots of things to talk about. And, I mean, I'll be honest, like, the last couple of weeks, what we have been discussing in Packer has actually kind of lined up with, with some things that have been happening uh, in society and culture. So it's given us some good, good real-life examples. And I've kind of appreciated that because we want to be able to relate this stuff to real life. So now we're going to dive into Packer. And we are back. We have drank our beer. Or we're still drinking our beer, I guess. Finishing it. Yeah, finishing. Getting close to being done. And we're going to continue. We're going to finish up part three on concise theology. Um, and we're getting close to the end of this thing, man. It's, uh... Feels kind of surreal. Yeah, it's coming up quick. Of, of concise theology. We're not going to end the podcast when we get to the end of that. Just... If anyone had a, if anyone had a panic attack there... <laughs> If anyone went if like, all, what? If any of the one of twelve of y'all have had a panic attack at that moment, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so the last three sections, like uh, Rick said before we went to break, there, we're going to talk about the family, we're going to talk about the world, and we're going to talk about the state. So first things first, let's talk about the family. Um, what we've been talking about the last, what we talked about with marriage last week, especially, kind of sets us up to talk about the family tonight. Um, Packer defines the family as the Christian household as a spiritual unit. And he says that the family is the oldest and most basic of human institutions. So that, I mean, he's just pointing out that across civilizations and across any religion, um, any belief or ideology or anything like that, um, you're going to see the family unit in some form. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you have the family in all the way back to Genesis 1. Um, and, I mean, it's it's part, the family is part of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, he creates man, and then he says man needs a helper, so he creates woman. And then he gives the command to man and woman to be fruitful and multiply. Make so, them babies. Make all the babies. Wow, 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 we need, we need to insert some Marvin Gaye music right there. Yes. Or Can we have Marvin Gaye playing in the background <laughs> softly? Um, that might be a little awkward. But yeah. the, For two so guys, the family, yes. the family is really, um, I mean, it's it's the backbone. It's the foundation of society. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's where, I mean, if you if you want to talk about like churches being disciple makers. The family is actually where discipleship starts. Right. You know, the family is where parents are discipling children. They're discipling children through things like discipline, um, you know, work ethic, uh, chores, all the fun stuff that you hated doing growing up. And down here, you're like, ha, 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 I get to make my kids do those things now. <laughs> or, um, or the flip side is you ask your kids to do those things. They do them, but they do a really bad job of it. So you have to go back is, and do it again. So you have to do it again. <laughs> I use those as wonderful teaching moments. That's what I do. <laughs> this is a teaching moment <laughs> this is a for how moment. bad you are at doing this. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, so it gives us our foundational uh, 
center for uh, authority. I mean, the first authority you have is the parents and children. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you have this development of the parents and children. You, you can start, you can trace this all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 um, in what's called the Shema. And in Deuteronomy 6, you start off with verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Now, something that uh, is interesting about the Shema is this is something that the nation would recite out loud. So if you've ever been to a stadium where they like, you know, they're like, what do we want? You know, tigers. And, you know, when do we want them? No, I don't, I don't know. It's obviously been a long time since I've been to a stadium. I was about to say, just use the Georgia Bulldogs one. Yeah. The, oh, 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 oh. So you get the same people doing the same thing all the time. Right. And, 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 but so when, when the nation would recite the Shema, they would all recite it and it would be really loud. So, so you're, you're saying when the Shema is recited, it's the entire nation of Israel. Yes. All hundreds of thousands of them. All at one time. All at one time. That, just, just thinking like how hard it was, like how hard it has been in the past to get like 10 people to do anything that you want them to do. Yes. But, I mean, this was part of their culture. This was part of yeah, what they did. Like, there had to be a few people that, were, like, didn't want to do it. Oh, absolutely. You know? Like, legit, and, and I'm just thinking, like, logistical nightmare for the people that are trying to organize something of that magnitude. <laughs> <laughs> you get in line, or... Well, to <laughs> so be fair, they did not have the distractions that we have now. That's fair. So it was like, what else, what else are you going to do, you know? We're in the desert. We don't really... Okay, let's just all stand around and shout things. We can shout or we can just stand here and listen to everyone else shout. So, <laughs> so but it, I mean, it was part of their culture. It was part of who they mm-hmm. were. And so you have this uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's where Jesus pulls from when he says, you know, this is the greatest commandment. Um, but then it goes on. You know, you teach these things to your children. You talk about them when you rise. You talk about them when you go to sleep. And what it's doing is it's giving you a foundation for the way you're supposed to raise your, the what Proverbs says, raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's in Proverbs 22, if anybody was wondering. Um, and so, so the Shema is kind of this foundational chant. And, and, you know, we, you know, think about football teams that do cheers or, or whatever. They, they huddle up and they do the, you know, one, two, three, go Tigers, you know, whatever that, that's, that's almost the kind of feel that you're going to get with this is, mm-hmm. is this is like a huddle thing that we're doing. We're in, and you constantly remind yourself of it. So that's where the family becomes this this authority based teaching unit for ch- for for adults and for children. Right. Um, you know, you want to train your children to become good adults so that they can train their children to become good adults so that they can train their children to become and the cycle continues on and on and on. Right. You know. Um and so, you know, when we talk about families being being the community the, but not just a community, but a community of teaching uh, and a community of learning about God and godliness. We we find this um, this I guess I guess blueprint is probably the word I'm looking for. This this structure to kind of follow. It's not it doesn't tell you exactly how to do it, um, but it tells you, hey, here's the things you need to do. You need to teach your children these things. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Um, skip over to Ephesians chapter six in the New Testament, and you know you have children honor your father in in the in the Lord because this is the right and honorable thing. Fathers, do not provoke your children. You know it's uh, yeah. Every, every time you get one of these these types of passages, 
you have this, like, they talk to the kids, they talk to the moms, they talk to the dads, they talk to the family as a whole. Right. It's the, I mean, you mentioned Ephesians there, it's the same as we talked about last week with marriage, where it talks about husbands love your wives and wives submit to your husbands. Like, every party is represented in Scripture when when there's instruction being given. It's, yes. Typically, it's not men or dads or husbands do this, and then they don't. There's no instruction given to the women or the children. Exactly. It's it's a cohesive um, effort uh, that requires um, requires every party to be active and uh, doing what needs to be done. Um, but the the thing that Packer pointed out, which I think is so key, and we've I think we've talked about it several weeks now is this idea of doing things in love and compassion mm-hmm. um, and how, you know, all forms of leadership or any leadership in general, whether it's in a family or if you're in a position of power, but specifically in the family, you're talking about a form of ministry rather than a form of tyranny. Yes. And that you must be, you know, the, Fathers in your homes, you must be fulfilling your fatherly role from a position of love. Mothers, you must be, you should be fulfilling your motherly role from a position of love. And children, you should also be fulfilling your role as children from a position of love. And and how you do that is how you treat your parents and parents, how you treat your kids. And yeah fathers how you lead your families and wives how you submit to your husbands like everything works together um to be an example of what a loving family looks like yeah yeah and and it's you know in in today's society we've gotten to this point where we think that parents have to be their the friend of their child you know, and, and I've had my, my daughter ask me before. She's like, you know, dad, are you my friend? And I always go, no, I'm not your friend because I'm your dad. Mm-hmm. You know, now that does, what that doesn't mean is that I'm not, you know, I'm going to be friendly to you. Yes, because mm-hmm. I love you. But I love you enough to let you be mad at me. Mm-hmm. I love you enough to get on to you and to discipline you. I love you enough to correct you. And I also love you enough that when all of your other friends abandon you, which is going to happen, Mm -hmm. I will be the one who's still there. Yeah. So, no, I'm not your friend. I'm your dad because being your dad is a whole lot more than being your friend. Right. It's almost like um, the example that Jesus set. You know, you know, everyone likes to say, like, Jesus is my friend. And while that's true to to a point, like, if everyone abandons you, there's still Jesus. If it, when when you screw up, there's still Jesus. When when you need discipline, there's Jesus. Yeah, you know what's interesting is is when if you look at that passage um, about Jesus calling, you know, people saying, you know, I'm a friend of Jesus. If you look at that passage, it comes from John 15, maybe 16, somewhere in there. Um, it's you don't actually call Jesus your friend; he calls you his friend. Mm. And there there there's a major difference there. You know, we, we don't get to call Jesus our friend because we can't reciprocate the friendship that he's giving to us. Right. And so, so, you know, friendship is this reciprocal type of thing. Whereas, whereas what he does is he says, no, I get to call you friend. Mm -hmm. Um, and so 
you know, it's just, it was it was an interesting thought to go to kind of put that into perspective that that Jesus is not our friend and like you know you're palling around with your homies and you're cutting up jokes and you're doing that kind of stuff, but he is your friend almost in a way that that uh you know when he says a friend uh, a true friend is somebody who would lay their life down for their brother you know mm-hmm. and that and that's what that's what Jesus did right and so so he gets the privilege of calling us friend. But we don't necessarily get that privilege to call him friend back because we can't reciprocate the type of friendship that he has given to us. Right. And so it's, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about that in that way. But, you know, on, this, on the same level, uh, we can call our children our friends, but our children can't call us friends because they're not reciprocating the friendship the same way that we are. Mm-hmm. They can't go out and provide for, their, for the family like parents do. They can't, uh, you know, discipline like parents do. There are certain things in in the relationship that children cannot do. Right. And so, whereas a friendship kind of has this leveling, uh, uh, you know, two friends are on the same level a lot of times, but uh, an authority figure and an and 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 I'm just going to say it this way, but like an authority servant, a, a figurehead, a leader, and a servant. They're not on the same level. Right. They may be friendly with each other, and it's important for the leader to serve and to love the servant, but there's there's nothing that the servant does to earn the love. You know, the leader does that because that's what's commanded in Scripture, and we're to do mm-hmm. this because that's the way it's commanded in Scripture, and that's the way the family unit is designed. Right. And and so you have um, you have this family unit as an authority structure. You have this family unit as a teaching community. And then the last thing that, that family or that Packer points out is the family unit functions as a spiritual unit. Mm-hmm. And so if you're doing these things that we've just, you know, spent the last 15 minutes unpacking, um, if you're doing the, the teaching of your children and, and the, the raising and disciplining of your children, then you're going to have a spiritual unit. You're going to be producing, you know, little versions of you which are hopefully little representations of christ right because that's what you are yeah the the home should be the first place where the shop where discipleship in a spiritual sense takes place like discipleship can mean doesn't just mean spiritual obviously like i can teach my son how to like be a better like be a good man that's discipleship in a way Mm -hmm. um i'm discipling him just you know not necessarily to be more like Jesus, but at the same time, I should be teaching him how to be like Jesus. Yes. I shouldn't be relying on my church or my friends who are more religious than me or, or closer to Jesus than me or whatever. Like I shouldn't be relying on other outside forces or entities to be discipling my child. It is my responsibility as the father of my household. It's my wife's responsibility as the mother for us to be, the example of Jesus in our home and then to teach our children how to follow Jesus. Yeah. Parents, if you are dropping your kids at the church to get their spiritual instruction, then you're doing your children a disservice. Yeah. Because they need to see spiritual instruction in the home first in order to understand how it works in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, working for churches for, for several years I can't tell you how many times I would see that, you know, Wednesday night activities or Sunday school was a time for the parents to go get an hour and go sit at a restaurant by themselves. Yep. And I'm like, 
that is a sad state of affairs. You know, mm-hmm. th- does that mean it's necessarily wrong? No, it doesn't. And I'm glad that the children are there getting an hour of Bible teaching or, or you know, whatever it is. Right. But, but but if you're using that as an avenue to basically pawn your kids off, then you're not using that in a good stewarding way. Yeah. And, and, the, and the one hour of Bible study that they're getting on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning is not nearly enough compared to the rest of the time during the week. No, you know, it's, it's, not. It's, 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 it's no different than the believers who only open their Bibles on Sunday yeah, and, or on Christmas and Easter or Christmas and Easter. Like, yeah. And, and don't open their Bible any other, any other time. Yeah. So it's a, it's a dangerous thing if your family is, if you as a parent isn't, are not passionately pursuing Jesus and passionately pouring Jesus into your children. Yes. Yes. The parents should be where it all starts. Yeah. And, and, and that's where, that's the basic function of the family. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, like, you know, we, I have a young son. I don't know really how to do that yet. It's something that I'm going to have to figure out as he gets older and he can, talk and communicate and want and starts reading and and wants to and wants to read the bible hopefully um so that's something i'm gonna have to learn how to do um my wife and i both so it's a little terrifying to think about that just that level of responsibility like like you think about like when you started your family there's this understanding that like this is a huge responsibility but it's like every Every like year or so, there's like, oh, I've got to make sure my walking kid doesn't hit his head on stuff. Oh, <laughs> I've got to make sure my kid learns how to go to the bathroom. Oh, I've got to teach my kid how to be like Jesus. Like it's just like it's like this escalating like amount of responsibility that every year or so just gets it's bigger, bigger and bigger and bigger. And, bigger. and you're prepare you're ultimately preparing your kids, you know. Uh, fathers and mothers out there, you're ultimately preparing your kids to leave your house to be yeah. like Jesus outside of your yeah. house. Now you know why parents are so happy when their kids move out. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so so when you have the family functioning like it should in a biblical role, parents and children teaching and learning and discipling, mm-hmm. that transitions into the effect of that Christian and Christians have on the world. Yeah. So, you know, where when Christians are active in the world, they're Christians in society and they're there to serve and transform it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what that's the way Packer describes it. Yeah. And and so what is the goal? What do we do as Christians in the world? Well, I mean, ultimately our role as Christians is to be examples of Christ to a lost world, to our unbelieving friends and coworkers and neighbors, um, to, to tell as many people as we can about Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's really our, I mean, that's the great commission is to go and to go and make disciples of all the nations. Yes. And all the nations means like your lost neighbors and your lost, uh, cubicle, neighbor and your lost people that you see at the restaurant every week or whoever it is um 
that's really our role as believers. Yeah. If you can't go around the world, you can go to your next door neighbor. Mm -hmm. You can have a conversation with your neighbor. You can host your neighbor. There's, I don't know if I've talked about this book on, on the podcast or not, but there's a book that I've read recently uh, called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's written by a gal named Rosaria Butterfield. And she has an, an incredible story that, that we're not going to get into right now, but just read her story. It's, it's really, really interesting. Um, but she talks about Christian hospitality uh, in this book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And she talks about how people would come over to their house and, and there was regular gatherings of people in the house. And, and you know, this is a couple um, that that don't, you know, he's, he's a pastor and she homeschools their kids that are adopted kids. Um, but they, you know, they don't go to Africa 73 times a year and start orphanages and, and build water wells. And, you know, they don't do that. They do the simple task of having their neighbors come to their house mm -hmm. and, and all of their neighbors know that their house is open. And, and she talks about, you know, she talks about, because so many times we think, well, when people come over to our house, well, our house has to be cleaned and it has to be organized and it has to be put together much like families think they have to put themselves together before they go to church on Sunday morning. Right. Um, you know, that's the way we think about hospitality. Well, she says, no, hospitality means if somebody walks into your house and there's a load of laundry sitting on your kitchen table, they go pick up the load of laundry and start folding it for you. That's, you know, that it's, it's sometimes you're the host and sometimes you're not the host. Right. And that it, the location doesn't matter. You know, if somebody were to come to your house, and, and that's what she talks about. And it really gave me, it gave me a different perspective on what hospitality acts is because, mm -hmm. you know, we're from the South. And so we were, we were, or at least I was raised to, you know, if you invite people over for dinner, well, then your house is clean. It's neatly kept. And, and, you know, you look very well put together. That's the Southern way of doing it. Yeah. The, the, you know? the whole idea that like you have to look a certain way if people come over, it's, terrifying to our family just because like we i mean we're not terribly clean people we're not terribly tidy people like stuff doesn't really have a like there's a place for everything but it doesn't have a place if that makes sense yeah, yeah. um sometimes everything is not hidden sometimes yeah. you just have to put it out on and, the counter and, so, and sometimes you just don't have like we don't have the space to hide everything we don't have yeah. the space to put <laughs> away the thousands of dollars of, of toys that my son has or whatever it is like i have no, I have no idea how he has so much stuff but how a two-year-old has more junk than you do that might be an exaggeration it might not be thousands but it's a lot um but anyway so you know the whole idea that like anytime i mean if if someone might come over like there's not even a commitment there we tidy up a little bit yeah and, and it's like well and then if they don't come over, it's like, well, at least the house looks decent for like ten minutes <laughs> until our toddler gets a hold of it. So until the, yeah, I was like, until the until the kid runs through the house yeah, at least so, once. So it's you know the whole idea that like you have to have your whole self put together is really is really a sad belief I think in the church because there's this whole this misnomer that you have to be you know like, like we've been saying like put together you have to be you have to look a certain way or your house has to be you know spotless or, or you're not yeah. doing you're not doing christianity right yeah, yeah. is is that is that whole like and it's really sad because i think that turns people off to the idea of jesus because 
believers look a certain way and and if you don't think the believers look a certain way then open your eyes because yeah they there's definitely like a certain look to a lot of believers Mm -hmm. um and it's it's really troubling that when you know oh i don't look like you and i you know there's never that like explanation that you don't have to look a certain way to come to jesus and and it's okay that if you don't look a you know, it's okay to not look the part. Yeah. In in believer, it's also okay to not look the part. Like just because yeah. you just because you've met Jesus doesn't mean you're gonna look the part all the time. Jesus didn't tell sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes that they needed to go get their lives together and then come back and follow him. He said, No, you take up your cross, so you follow me. Period. Yeah. You know, and, and the rest of that that stuff, that peripheral stuff takes care of itself. Yeah. You know, those are things that don't matter in life. And and honestly, this is where the family and this is where Christians have lost their voice in the world because we have demanded that people capitulate to our concept and our identity in order to be accepted into our group. I mean, we're we are the click of clicks. Mm-hmm. If you know you, you had that group of kids in high school that if you didn't fit what they wanted exactly, then they kicked you out of their group. That's what Christians have realistically become. Yeah. If you don't fit our model, if you're not a conservative right wing white evangelical, then then you don't you don't fit in our group and you're not you're not welcomed here. Yeah. You know, or, we're gonna say everybody's welcome, but we're definitely not gonna act like it. Yeah. I mean or worse, like if you don't fit that model, you're not actually a believer. Yeah. And and if you don't fit that model and you're not a believer, then as someone who doesn't fit that, then they're like there would be no need for me to even pursue Jesus because there's no way for me to meet that requirement. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're marginalizing people by putting structures on them that the, the Bible and Jesus never put on people. Right. Yeah. Think, think, think about this as, as a believer, you're in your church. If it's a predominantly, you know, I'll go ahead and say it. We're both white. Yes. We're, both, we're both white men that live in the South, so we, Southern Baptist, like unashamed, unashamedly Southern Baptist, but, you know, that's that's just part of our stories. Um, if we were in our church and a homeless black man walked in or a gay couple walked in, like, really wanting to find out more about Jesus, it kind of terrifies me to think about the response of the churches that I've been in, what that response would be. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. just thinking about like what most of the people in in the church believe about things like homelessness or homosexuality or if they smell like alcohol yeah. or if they're even if they're like completely covered in tattoos. Like if mm-hmm. a person walks in completely covered in tattoos, we're getting a little off topic, but that's okay. <laughs> that's part of our MO it's, at this point. It is. And um, I mean, honestly, this is part of our discussion with the world. Yeah, How so, the church should be interacting so, with the world. So, but like if someone walks in co- completely covered in tattoos, the response should not be like, oh, kids, you know, come over with me and don't look at them. The response should be, hey, man, we're so glad you're here. Do you have any questions about Jesus? Let, yeah. like, begin a conversation with that person. Well, that that absolutely hits on one of the points that Packer gets to when he says Christians, like Christ, are to empathize with people's anxieties and needs. Now, 
Notice Packer does not say that we are supposed to empathize with people once they have capitulated to our personification of what they should be. Mm-hmm. No, we meet them at their anxieties. We meet them at their needs in order to serve them and communicate with them effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, that that is that's the whole point of what you're talking about is is if and, and I under you need to understand the difference between empathize and sympathize. You can sympathize with somebody when you understand their their plight, when you understand what they're going through. But you can empathize with people when you have gone through what they're going through. Right. And so we need to remember, okay, maybe we we didn't struggle with the sin of homosexuality. Maybe we didn't struggle with uh, with ever being homeless. Okay. But you know what we all struggle with? We all struggle with being sinners in need of a savior. Mm-hmm. And that is the point where you can begin to empathize with people. Hey, man, I know your struggle is hard. I know it's tough being homeless. How can I help you? Yeah. You know, and, and you get to that point where you you can empathize with what people are going through because you put yourself in their shoes. You try to think like they do. And, and you, you get to a point where you're able to communicate because you, again, you're talking from the same dictionary. And this is a lot of times, this is the problem that we have with Christian culture is we say the same words, but we're talking from two different dictionaries Mm -hmm. and, and we talk past people and we say, well, I told you what you needed to be told. Well, no, you didn't because you used words and you used, you used language that didn't relate to me in my situation. I had no idea what you're talking about, yeah. but I'm not going to speak up and say something about that because I'm, I'm afraid that you're going to talk down to me. Yeah. You know, there, in that situation. And unfortunately in the church, there is a lot of that, like almost pious, pharisaical, like we're like almost a, like I'm better than you because I know Jesus, which yeah. is the complete opposite of the message that Jesus brought, which was like, yeah. you are a like wretched, broken, hellbound person that cannot do it. Like, no matter how hard you try, cannot do it on your own. Yeah. And that's why Jesus came, by the way. Yeah. Don't know if you knew that. <laughs> so, like, this, this, it's almost this idea that, like, when people that don't look like us or talk like us or think like us enter our churches we should not be like have our nose up at them mm-hmm. kind of thing. It should be yeah. that we should be reaching out to them to see how we can connect with them in some way, even if it's yeah. just a brief moment of, because that brief moment of connection could change that person's their life here on earth, but also their eternity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so many times we, uh, okay. I'm going to step on a few toes right here. As Christians, if you are not able to empathize with somebody and realize the grace that they need, you do not understand the grace that you have been given. And it's entirely possible that you are not a Christian because a true, a person who has completely surrendered and committed themselves to Christ understands the amount of grace that they have been given. You know, you were, I don't care if you were the best person in the world before Christ. You did, you helped all of the one, the elderly ladies cross the street. You did all of the good stuff. You gave all of the money. I don't care what you did. You are a sinner who is broken and in need of a savior. And the amount of grace that you were given is the exact same amount of grace. It's called salvation. And it's the same for every person. 
whether you are the best person who ever lived as in, in the standards of this world or you are Adolf Hitler in the standards of this world. You know, and I'm using that comparison to, to create such a drastic contrast because Adolf Hitler to us is the epitome of evil. But the person who is the best, the, the person who is saving people from Adolf Hitler needs Jesus and the grace of and the mercy of God as much as Adolf Hitler does. Yeah. And if you don't understand that, you probably are not a Christian. Yeah. I mean, believers think about this like there's no evidence of this. But what if in his final moments, Hitler repented? Yeah. Like, if, and, if Hitler put his trust in Jesus before he killed himself, like, I like I said, there's no evidence for this. I'm just, this is yeah. totally speculation. But if he did that, he is in heaven just as much as we can assume Billy Graham Ra- is. As Billy Graham or Ravi <laughs> Zach- Robbie Zacharias, who just passed yeah. away. Um, Martin Luther, like these guys who we hold in such high esteems in the church are just as lost as Adolf Hitler was. There's yeah. no different level of lostness. Yeah. Martin Luther would be the first person to tell you that. Right. And, I mean, he, 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 his whole basis on this thing that he had called the theology of the cross was, you know, I need to make myself and, and understand before Martin Luther really and truly came to Christ. Uh, I mean, the dude was, the dude was a monk. And, and he, you know, it was when he was a monk that he, he really understood justification by faith alone. Mm-hmm. You know, he he gave himself up to this life, and then God God radically changed him through the course of being a monk. Right. And so so it's it's this this concept of until we realize that even our best is filthy rags, unless it is, you know, done in in and done for the glory of god right and even the very best we can do yeah and even then the very best we can do even done for the glory of god doesn't it doesn't accomplish us anything yeah as far as getting in good standing with god yeah and if you're doing it outside of christ it's i mean it's it's nothing anyway right nothing you can do can earn or merit any type of mercy or grace it is all 100 percent the gift of god right and so that's why Christians need to be different. And and Packer talks about this. He he gives the the appointed tasks of Christians relating to the world, and he says it's a threefold task. The first thing he says is evangelism. We've we've already talked about that really kind of in the in the last twenty minutes of discussion. Mm-hmm. Evangelism is how you're reaching out to the world. Um, Christians are also to love your neighbor. You know, we we have hit this multiple times in in previous weeks what it means to to love your neighbor and your neighbor is more than the person who lives next door to you your neighbor is the lady at the cashier stand at the grocery store um she or he is the waitress or waiter that is waiting on you at that restaurant Mm -hmm. um that is your neighbor it's people that you come in contact with on a daily basis that is your neighbor and then the last thing which i think is an interesting point that, that packer makes uh packer brings out is that we are called to fulfill the cultural mandate that God gave to man in creation. Now, if you've never heard that term cultural mandate, it is it is something that really became popular with the evangelicalism of the 90s. Uh when they started this whole moral majority and and this, you know, we're going to win back America through morality and we're going to we're going to legislate morality. And 
and the way this is all backfiring now is a lot of these men who led this this crusade of the 90s are starting to be exposed mm-hmm. and what we what we realize and what i want you to realize through all of this is that the hope can never be in the people who lead the revolutions the hope has to be in what the revolution is about the moral majority was about these guys when reality the moral majority should have been about christ and what right. christ can do to society right because because when you apply the what 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 we would call the you know a protestant work ethic or something that says i'm going to work hard for this mm-hmm. um you know paul says that in all things we do all things for the glory of god do it do everything as unto the lord um and so when you're at your work work hard do your job the right way but don't do it the right way to get a paycheck. Don't do it the right way to impress your boss. Don't do it the right way to get a raise. Do it the right way because that's what God has commanded you to do. Right. You know, um, and and if if we would have based our moralistic ideals more on the glory of God than on trying to win a culture war, and 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 that's when I when I that's why I, I want to go back to the culture mandate. God has given us the culture mandate. We do the cultural mandate because it is what God has prescribed. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the culture mandate really comes from Genesis chapter one. Um, and then you can see it again in, in Psalms eight, six, where he says, you have given dominion, uh, over the works of your hand. You've put all things under his feet. He's talking about man here, all the sheep and the oxen, also all the beasts of the fields, the birds of heaven. So the cultural mandate is that we are to subdue and have dominion over the world. And so when we have dominion over the world, when we subdue the world, we're, we do it in a stewardship way, and we're doing it in such a way that brings honor and glory to God. We mm-hmm. are fulfilling the cultural mandate. Right. Winning political wars is not the cultural mandate. I'm just going to throw that out there. What? <laughs> you know, so many times Christians think winning the culture war means winning political uh, points and getting, you know, uh, a per- a certain specific person elected because they're the person God appointed. Let me tell you something. Whoever wins the election is who got appointed, regardless of if it was your candidate or not. Yep. So deal with it. Pray for that person. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and this carries us, this, this idea carries us into the discussion about the state. Yeah. How are Christians, if we're to interact and change the world, how are we supposed to interact with government while interacting with the world? Well, I mean, the the first thing that Packer points out, and it's something that, as a younger believer, I was not crazy about, but as I've grown and matured, I fully agree and understand this concept, is that we are to respect, and not just like, it's not a strong suggestion, it's like, it's, it's almost like the 11th commandment, like, respect the civil <laughs> government. So, um, you know... Uh, Romans says that everyone must submit himself to the government governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. Um, the authorities that exist have been established by God. So, you know, like you were just saying, God ordains and God puts into place political leaders, regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not you as a believer like that person. If you as a Christian didn't like Donald Trump, it's not against God's will that Donald Trump became president. Yeah. If you as a Christian didn't like Obama or Bush or who, like, go back, if you didn't like George Washington, like, like, (laughs) God appointed George Washington to lead the United States through his first years of, um, of existence. Yeah. 
just the same way that God appointed Trump to lead the United States now. Yeah. So as a believer, our role is to obey the government, um, peace, like peacefully obey, not like begrudgingly, like, okay, if I have to kind of thing, like, mm-hmm. like almost in a joyful, joyfully, joyful way. Um, our role is to pray for those, pray for the leaders, um, defend them when, when people are attacking them for no reason, but also like, call them out if they're if you don't if they're doing something you believe is against the will of god say something yeah like don't don't keep it yourself and be like well if god appointed them then like that's you can't play both sides of that coin yeah exactly and and it's it's interesting because you know so many people will be quick to say you know and and i'll i'm going to use evangelicals because they're so easy to pick on them on this point you know uh, when when Barack Obama got elected, it was obviously not God's will for Barack Obama to get elected. Oh, really? You're so tight with God that you know what his will is on who's going to be the next president of the United States of America. They obviously, Congratulations, you don't. They obviously <laughs> haven't listened to the episode of the podcast where we talk about what happens happens and what doesn't yeah. happen doesn't <laughs> happen because it's the will of God for things to happen. Yes. Uh, go back and listen to that one. It's called Providence and it's called uh, Predestination. Um, but, but the, you know, on the, on the flip side of that Christian, uh, for Christians who did not support Donald Trump, you know what? Using hashtag, not my president doesn't help you any. Our job as Christians, whether we like or dislike, I'm not saying support or don't support. I'm saying like, or dislike uh, the president of the United States. Our job as Christians is to pray for that person mm-hmm. and not pray for that person. Dear Lord, bless the president. Okay, amen. You know, it, it is to pray for wisdom. It is to pray for guidance. It is to pray for that leader of our country because that person is the leader of our country, whether you like it or not. Okay, so here's something that I just thought of. Like, if we're going to say that God appoints leadership, like government leadership, mm-hmm. then we have to say that God appoints all leadership for all governments across the globe, like in the entire mm-hmm. world, which means that this is going to sound weird to say that God appointed Hitler to be the leader of Germany during World War II. It, it's entirely, and, and that's where we fall. We fall into the the category of saying God allowed it to happen. Uh, now that's just the same as saying, you know, it, it's very similar to saying that God ordained it uh, because Everything that God ordains comes to pass. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, the good things that happen are ordained by God as well as the bad things that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what it means is that it didn't catch God by surprise when, when Hitler rose to power. God knew it was going to happen. God allowed it to happen. And, and it happened for a reason. We may not know that reason now. Mm-hmm. We may not even fully understand that reason 50, 60, 70 years post-Hitler. You know, it's it's ni- 1945, the fall of Germany was 1945, so it would have been, it's been 47. It's been uh, eight, 75 years. 70 years, yeah, 75 years now since the fall of the Third Reich in Germany. and But, something like that. Yeah, 75. And, and so, but you look at that and go, what did we as a society learn from that? That we may have not learned if that if it didn't happen 
mm-hmm. you know, here's the thing about trials and tribulations and troubles and bad things. They teach you something. They teach you what not to do. You know, you don't know to stick your, not to stick your finger in a light socket because it'll electrocute you until you've stuck your finger in the light socket and electrocute you, mm-hmm. you know, and you feel that shock and it hurts. And you're like, I am definitely not doing that again. Um, you know, and, and so, or stick a screwdriver. I'll say it'd be hard to get your finger in there, but stick a screwdriver in a light. Unless you're little. Unless you're little. Yeah. But, but that's, you know, we wouldn't know to do that. And then, you know, we wouldn't have the safety measures that we have on plugs now where we have the little plastic pieces that go over. We, we have all these things that are good because bad things happened. Mm -hmm. And so, so just because something is bad doesn't mean that it should not have happened. Now, We can look back and go, man, I really wish we didn't have to learn that lesson that way. But that's how we learn lessons. We're human. Yeah. We're fallen. We're broken. That's how we learn lessons. Yeah. And so, so sometimes it takes a tragedy for change to be implemented. Exactly. And so to to bring this almost full circle, that is the reason we have government. Because government is is the means which God ordained to kind of keep reins on society mm-hmm. um to to keep the the card on the track so to speak you know to, to keep the ball bouncing back and forth in the playing field uh does it is it always great no does it is it terrible sometimes yeah you know but but it doesn't mean that because it's terrible that we have to disobey it now if what government is doing is clearly against the teaching of scripture and i'm going to give you an example here I believe that what the the modern progressive liberal democrat however you want to label them uh believers in America today their views on abortion I believe are completely antithetical to scripture. And so I do not support any part of a party that is going to hold that view on abortion. And and you know the democratic party has fled to that that view. You mm-hmm. know they've embraced that view and, and really made it the the shining star of their platform, which is why I think they're going to have trouble. But but I'm not. That doesn't mean that I'm going to lock, stock, and barrel disagree with every single thing that every single Democrat says. Now, if a Democrat starts talking about abortion, you better believe I'm going to get up and I'm going to say, "Nope, you're wrong. This is terrible." You know. But if they start getting up and talking about things that we can do to improve race relations in America, or um, police relations in America or, you know, with, with even with everything that's happened in just the last couple of weeks, uh, that we're not going to dive into right now. But, um, you know, I'm at least going to listen to their conversation because it may be profitable. Mm -hmm. Uh, I may not agree. I may not agree a hundred percent. I may not agree 50%, but I'm at least going to listen. And, and so, because they're not saying anything that is antithetical to what scripture teaches. Right. And so, so you have this idea that government is there uh, to rule over communities. They, the government has been given specifically the use of the sword. Defense uh, is one of the areas that, that government is responsible for, according to Scripture. Um, they collect taxes. Sorry, Presbyterians. You know, you still got to pay your taxes. Taxation is not necessarily theft in all cases. Uh, you know, we can make the argument that some taxation is theft, but but not all of it is. Mm-hmm. Um and then, and then governments, uh, where governments fulfill our the roles that they're supposed to, we're we're to encourage that, and where they're not fulfilling the roles, we're to we're to 
uh, oppose that or, or say we disagree with government. But but the end of the line is that we're to pray for our government leaders. We're to obey our government leaders um, in, in things that, that are not antithetical or anti what the what Scripture teaches. Um, and, and we're supposed to do this while living peaceful lives. Yeah. That is our goal as Christians. Yeah. As believers, we have no place to get caught up in um, violent protests or violent riots or yeah. whatever you want to call them. Um, like that, we lose credibility as believers when we take part in those kind of um, demonstrations. Yes. It's absolutely true. So people, so, don't, people don't want to listen to you at that point because you're no different from the others. Yeah. So as believers, like you speak up when there's when there's issues, and there's always going to be issues. Like we live in a fallen world. The side of Jesus coming back, there's always going to be some kind of issue. Yeah. Um, until there are no issues, we speak up when. Um, we speak up when things are against scripture. We speak up when um, when our rights as believers, not our rights as Americans, not our rights as um, Christians, not those rights. Well, yes, our rights as believers. That's what I was meant to say. Not our rights as Americans. Um, when those, our rights as believers are infringed upon, that's when we can speak up. But until then, pray for your, pray for your government, obey your government, listen to them. Make sure that they're, make sure that what they're doing lines up with scripture. Yeah. And then if it doesn't, like, continue to pray for them, but also prepare to do something about it. As a believer, yeah. you can't just sit on your, you just can't sit at home in November when it's time to vote yeah. and make change happen. So. And, and you know, understand that, that this is not an endorsement to vote R or to vote D. You, you vote how you feel led to vote, if that's... R, vote R. If it's D, vote D. If it's L, vote independent. <laughs> libertarian. If it's L for libertarian, don't tread on me, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think, and maybe maybe it's because of where we live in in the Southeast, the, the idea that there are Christians who don't vote Republican every time. <gasps> or, or don't vote at all. Like, they just, they just don't vote. Yeah like just kind of breaks us a little bit and we're like yeah. how like we we thought like voting was part of christian culture when yeah. it's not sorry like voting yeah. voting for your elected officials is not part of christian culture it's just part of your responsibility as an american yeah it's part of your duty as an american and and to be a good citizen you know i would encourage even if your vote is to to write in a third-party candidate and you want to write in mickey mouse okay you're still exercising your right to vote yeah you know and i think bare minimum you have to exercise your right otherwise you don't you don't you know really to me you don't really get an opinion because you didn't participate in anything you know nobody likes the person who walks off the sideline and starts telling people what to do mm -hmm. when they haven't participated in any of the game or any of the plan so far right you know so anything else to add about the state i think i think we've covered it <laughs> we, we have beat it into the ground tonight we really have and it, but um, it's, it's been good discussion um it's i think it is important to know our place you know 
in the family, in the state. Um, what was the other one? In the world, like, Christians should out to the world. Yeah, like, like, sorry, they, it's, they all run together. So it's important <laughs> for Christians to know their roles in each of those, mm-hmm. um, and what your proper role as a believer in Jesus is versus what it's not, yeah. and um, you know, figuring figuring out how to fulfill that role is going to look different for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. So, and and what we're talking about tonight is is really a key part of having what's called a Christian worldview. Um, and, and this is, this is very important for Christians or it should be very important for Christians. You know, Mm -hmm. how does what we believe affect, uh, our daily life? How does it change us? And, and so we need to think about these things and we need to develop a very consistent, uh, Christian worldview, because if we don't have a consistent Christian worldview, people are going to expose us. Right. You know, they're going to expose you in your inconsistencies. And so, you know, we, we hope you have something to think about, to to think on, to apply to yourself, apply to your life so that you can continue to develop a good Christian worldview because it's important for every Christian to have one. Yeah. So if they want to find us on social media, Patrick, where would they do the social media searchings? We are on Twitter at... That's not right. I usually do Instagram first. Whoop. You can change it around however you want to. We are on Instagram <laughs> at beers and Bible underscore. You're going to leave that in. It's fine. Uh, um, yeah. We are on Twitter at beers and Bible P1. You can search for us on Facebook. Uh, just search beers and Bible podcast and look for our uh, podcast logo there. And you can also email us at uh, beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, interact with you, send us some messages, and share our posts. I feel like we've done better about being more active, but uh, we try. We will definitely continue to improve on that as we uh, continue to grow our um, our reach and our library of podcasts and all that stuff. So we are getting close to the end of Packer. Uh, we just finished part three. And we're trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah, we're there are discussions being had. So if you have any suggestions on what you would like for us to uh, talk about, or um, you know, if you have any ideas for beers to try, we'd love to hear those as well. Um, if we can get our hands on them, we'll go get them. So that's right. So until next week, we hope you enjoy some ice cold beer. We're rolling into summer. Um, by the time this comes out, it'll be like mid. June-ish, so kicking it in the summer, and hopefully kicking coronavirus to the curb. So have a good week, enjoy some ice cold beer, and we will see you next week. Peace out. You enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible. Please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast.